Hey, Yogi, Sarah Burchard here, and you are listening to Yoga Unplugged Conversations, a show dedicated to helping you grow, thrive, and gracefully make tough life decisions so you can lead a happier, healthier life. On this show, we discuss common challenges that everyone can relate to and apply philosophy and practical tools that have been proven to be effective solutions. Today, we're talking about cause and effect, and more specifically, taking actions simply for the well-being of others without a need for reward. This is called karma yoga. It's a practice of releasing selfish motives or attachments to the outcomes of your actions. Simply put, it is acting out of love. To help me unpack all of the nuances of this practice, I have Kara Miller on the show today. Kara grew up in the tropical Pacific where she's fallen deeply in love with the ocean. Throughout her life, she spent time living and working in places such as Fiji, Indonesia, Micronesia, and of course here in Hawaii. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Marine Biology, a Master's in Science in Marine Resource and Environmental Management, and a Certificate in Pacific Island Studies from the University of Hawaii. Kara has worked in international fisheries management and policy, marine education and training and capacity building on small Pacific islands for the past 10 years. During that time, she's also become a 500-hour certified yoga instructor and has taught yoga throughout Hawaii and internationally, including islands in Indonesia and Micronesia. While working for the NOAA Fisheries Office in Honolulu, known as NOAA, she started a yoga in the workplace program that still runs today. She's also a yoga empowerment coach and a Thai yoga practitioner. I know from being one of Kara's yoga students that she applies the principles of karma yoga in all of the work that she does, whether it's on the mat or in the ocean. She's dedicated her life to supporting the greater good and helps people become aware of their destructive patterns so they can live happier, more sustainable lives. Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sarah. What a, what a great and very kind introduction. I'm really happy to be here talking with you today. I'm so happy to be talking to you too. Um, the first, I just want to say this, the first time I took one of your yoga classes, I was like, okay, the music is cranked up so loud that this chick is literally screaming at us in order for us to hear her. <laughs> But by the time we were halfway through the class, I was having so much fun that all skepticism had completely disappeared. And instead, I was having a blast and feeling amazing. The energy in the room when you teach is simply electrifying. Your delivery is so dynamic, so direct. It's like a drill sergeant meets motivational speaker meets the Dalai Lama. That's a pretty powerful conversation. <laughs> Thanks. It is exactly how I feel, though. So at what point in your career working in international fisheries, of all things, were you like, I think I want to teach yoga? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm one of the unique, lucky, and fortunate few who was introduced to yoga at a really young age. So my mother and uh, a nana of mine started to age, didn't feel as great as she used to in her body, started attending a community yoga class uh, in my small town. This was in Oregon at the time. And I was only 15 years old when I went to my first yoga class with my mom and uh, my nanny. And something about the practice for me, uh, the very deep mental, emotional, and spiritual component really, really stuck. 
you know, I was 15 and I was very active in sports in school already. I, I didn't, I wasn't drawn to yoga because of how it was physically. I think that's very much uh, not the majority of, of people who are usually first attracted to yoga for the physical practice. And for me, it was very much opposite. It was very much a place of solace and refuge that I could go to in my mind and feel like my heart was open and lightened by the end of the practice. And you know, to be honest, it's the same experience uh, in the ocean for me. You know, I've been scuba diving for 22 years, if you can believe it or not. And scuba diving and being underwater for me was a very experience for stilling the mind and opening the heart and coming out feeling um, the closest thing to bliss that I had had before in my life. So interestingly, yoga was a key part of my life and the ocean was before I was even really an adult who knew what my career would shape out to be like. So it was interesting. They didn't marry with one another at first, but as I'm sure we'll get to the way that my life and my career has evolved, they're very much compatible and intrinsically connected. But that's the story of yoga for me. You know, I was so lucky that my mother passed on this practice to me as a teenager. So for me, it's really been foundational in my life and development. That's awesome. Oh, you're so lucky. I actually went to my first yoga class around, how old was I? I was, pro- I was in high school too. Awesome. And yeah. Um, and it was at a gym. It, it, it wasn't probably like a, a type of yoga class that you went to. It was more like, you know, one of the aerobics instructors also had a yoga class. And so I yeah. went to it. But I still got to learn some poses and some of the ritual around it. And yeah. so that later when I was, when I knew I needed that and wanted that back in my life, I knew what it was. And yeah, nice. it was. It kind of planted that seed early on. You know, I took like a a, a long break, and then I went back to it. Yeah, I, yeah. I bet a lot of people can relate to you on that, and that is fortunate. Also, that you are also one of the younger ones to have the first taste of yoga. You know. Hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to start this karma yoga conversation by talking about samaskaras. Sure. Um, which, for anybody who doesn't know. It's the deep-seated patterns that we have developed over time. And one of my favorite books is called The Wisdom of Yoga by Stephen Cope. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's basically a super accessible translation of the Yoga Sutras. And Cope explains in the book that the yogis came up with the laws of karma in order for us to understand our conditioning so we can become conscious of it. And the idea is to become conscious of your patterns so you can break them and prevent suffering. Mm -hmm. And the thought is also that this consciousness makes it easier to be selfless and conditions your mind so that it's set in this way to be your default mode. Mm -hmm. What advice do you give your clients and students on how to become aware of their samaskaras And do you think that this awareness makes people more selfless? Yeah. Wow. What a great, what a great place to start. And I love the verbiage that uh, Stephen Cope uses to describe that. 
And I think there's a lot of verbiage that's actually becoming more and more common. I'm observing in the millennial age of seekers, if I may call them that, um, we're all seekers, right? But a lot of this talk about the shadow, for example, shadow work uh, you might have heard of, or limiting belief systems. And I think another way to think about samskara is even broader. And one of my wonderful teachers, Rupali Embry, I'm getting this from her, and she says it's anything that goes unprocessed. So not even necessarily something that has developed into a limiting belief system or a program in the brain that fires subconsciously, that creates barriers subconsciously uh, for many people. And we, we all have this, you know, we all have this eventually through experiences in, in the world, in the material world. But Rupali says anything that goes unprocessed can potentially turn into a samskara, some kind of, of blockage of energy flow. Mm -hmm. And this is another kind of term that you've probably heard people talk about, this flow state idea and how to live and be in this state of, of flow and alignment on a day-to-day -day basis. And in yoga, I think this, this comes down to a simple cultivation of the thought, cultivating the thought from, from moment to moment. And how does that then allow you to have freed up space and energy to then be of more service to the world and to others? I think that's, that is, is so the heart of, uh, of so much that yoga is about, uh, Sarah, honestly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I come back to some words, uh, I believe by Sivananda, one of another wonderful master yogi that was one of the few yogis from India that brought yoga over to the West, you know, many, many, many years ago. But that, that yoga is simply the inquiry of pausing and asking, who am I? And getting eventually to a point where you can maintain this separation from the whirling agitations of the mind. <laughs> and that is at the heart of, of facing these subconscious programs, limiting belief systems, however you'd like um, to phrase it, that really does uh, suck up the energy, the available life force that would otherwise be flowing at this beautifully free, abundant state, uh, then allowing um, you to have that to share with others in the world. So what advice would I give? You know, that's, I think this is the million dollar question. And the, I think it's a, it's a very complex question, but first of all, um, being very gentle and loving with, with oneself in this process of facing your shadows and your experiences that have shaped you throughout your entire life from when you were a baby and a young child until now and getting to know these parts of yourself, these parts that um, might be darker or more of a shadow or might stick their head up and cause issues for you from time to time or maybe all the time as an adult. But my first piece of advice would be to develop a kind of intimate relationship with these 
parts of yourself and develop love for them and within them and all around them. And, you know, a, a wonderful teacher I had in the past, a, a Tibetan Buddhist meditation teacher, Lama Migmar Tetsen, taught me this beautiful med meditation around taking something that feels dark, uh, whether it's about yourself or someone else, and transforming it through a loving kindness meditation into bright light and essentially transforming it all into love. And I think practices like that, uh, all the way to practices that are more modern, uh, psychological, tapping, all of these kinds of things can be incorporated into a self-care regiment with really understanding at the foundation, self-understanding, self-inquiry, because you're right uh, in what you said, Sarah, and what Stephen Cope says as well. It's only then that you will be able to face the world with this really accountable attitude versus a more victim mentality. And when yes. you're practicing that accountable attitude, you're outward focused. And that is another thing that is very much for me at the core of a karma yoga practice. Right. That's exactly what it is, right? It's that's service of others. You know, you're, you're thinking of others first. And that, you know, kind of leads me to, to this question too. There's a fine line sometimes for some people that are, there's so much in service that they might become sort of a doormat. And, and what do you say to those people who are serving others so much that they aren't getting their own needs met or they're getting taken advantage of? Yeah, that's a really, really good point too. And I think that is honestly a, a bit of an epidemic, if I may use that <laughs> word. Having some great friends that are on the front lines, for example, in the social work world here uh, in, in Hawaii, working with, with families and people on the streets and people with mental health and you know, I used to be involved in a program called Heal the Healers because the emphasis of healing those that are spending so much time giving their energy to others uh, typically do uh, experience burnout or however you'd like to think about that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I can't remember again what teacher of mine said this. I wish I could because I use it and think about it all the time, but how absolutely anything and everything in life from when you first wake up until you go to bed in the evening can be looked at as an exchange of energy. Mm -hmm. And if you approach life as maintaining and restoring and sustaining this balance of energy that's both being given out or maybe just that's leaking out and that's being put back in and filled back up, that being the core of being able to maintain that happy, healthy, peaceful beingness. So yeah, I think that, I think that you're right about that. And I think yoga, of course, can offer so much to support maintaining the balance of not giving to the point of burnout. I think having various practices, knowing your, knowing your own energy and what fills you back up the most effectively for some people, it's nature, especially here, it's the ocean, it's, it's the land, it's the mountains. Uh, for some people, it's simply being alone, but learning you know, yourself and what it is that's most effective at filling your cup. And also 
looking into the whole I'm not enough limiting belief program and seeing if that is in fact a driver that leads to burnout. I see a lot of people that are giving a lot are sometimes driven by a deeper limiting belief that they're not whole unless they do so much and unless they give so much. And I think doing some work around that belief system can also be really, really helpful in preventing burnout and keeping the life force energy really, really high. Yeah. The people pleasers. <laughs> yeah. No, yes. yes. It's yeah. a, and I, I love the analogy about the transfer of energy yeah. and, and it going in and out. And, and I think, you know, again, it's like exactly what we said before is this self inquiry that allows you to know when you've been depleted, what you need to get back on track. I think also right. knowing if you're like an introvert versus extrovert. Yes. Also a, is a great way to fi figure out what you need because for me, I'm actually like if you take those quizzes or whatever, I'm kind of like right down the middle. But I tend to fall more on the introvert side, which means mm -hmm. that I need a certain amount of alone time every day in right. order to just get through the day. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, right. I'm just like I'm falling down at the end of the night, so exhausted just from being around people. We might not even be doing anything. We might just be hanging out, but it's exhausting to me after a while. And it's a real thing. It's not about being outgoing or being able to talk in front of people or anything like that. It's about what gives you energy and what do you need to get your energy, like you said, your cup filled back up. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And you're bringing up a really, really good point, Sarah, because I think a lot of people will be able to relate to you on that. And that's why I think of karma yoga and a bit of a more expanded definition that doesn't necessarily have to involve a ton of other people, for example, mm -hmm. because in reality, there are just a lot of people that don't do well in situations filled with people, <laughs> or maybe that's not their strong suits being directly engaged and in exchange with other people. Mm -hmm. So really, you know, there's an amazing, uh, there's an amazing example of karma yoga, just looking at some of the famous people of history, like Thich Nhat Hanh and like the Dalai Lama you mentioned earlier, or <laughs> like we have, you know, Amma right now, this, this hugging saint that's traveling the world oh, and yeah. giving and, and really, you know, these are people who were in the spotlight. So they're the ones we think about when we think about karma yogis. But really, karma yoga gets down to simply action. And the action, like you said earlier, was really a great uh, capture. I thought of the idea of, of metta, this joy that comes up deep inside that is when an action that brings more peace, more love, more high vibration into the world comes from an absolute pure heart with no, like you said, expectation of a thank you or a direct feedback or anything, just totally unattached to the fruits or to any fruits of the action. And 
getting down to even somebody who has a job that's like a janitor, for example, like that doesn't necessarily interact with people. You're there after hours. Maybe the building's already emptied out, but every action is simply in devotion, devotion to the divine, to universal consciousness, to, to God, to whatever understanding of this you have, but that every action can be an opportunity to be in a state of devotion to ultimate love. And I think that's a really beautiful way to think about karma yoga that doesn't necessarily exclude anyone that might you know, feel overwhelmed at the idea of having to actually be um, with a ton of people all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, speaking of work, I think one of the ways that you can find out if you're doing work that you actually really love and enjoy is if you don't need accolades or prestige or even a certain amount of money to do it. Like you would just do it regardless. Yeah. You know that you're really living your purpose. Yeah. I love that. I really love that. And a lot of people I think struggle to even identify what really lights them up. Oh yeah. I think, uh, I think a lot of us have a path laid out, whether it's by um, our parents or the culture we come from or a certain dharma, a certain duty that's just given to you. But it's ultimately something that not everybody inquires into on a deeper level. And I think that you're totally right. I think that a good sign of being in alignment with purpose, to use your word, is uh is that feeling of I'm going to do this no matter what and feeling like the universe is on your side and that it will come back around. To me, that's really this abundant attitude. It's this attitude of abundance, not scarcity that is looking at all of what's possible and seeing it and then setting that as the vibration of the endeavor. And that right away brings that kind of higher trusting grateful, devoted attitude in, which is so much of the heart of karma yoga to me, because you can technically be in a service providing kind of work and very much not be practicing karma yoga. Sure. Absolutely. You You could be doing it resentfully. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can feel the energy as someone who's really enjoying their work and who's just doing it for a paycheck or because they've never really asked themselves, is this really, what do I even want to do? Right. They just kind of fell into it and they were maybe good at it or whatever. And now they're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. And it's interesting. One more thing kind of related to that, that I just thought about. It's interesting because I do see more and more people coming to a lot of these topics and questions that you and I are talking about right now. Mm -hmm. And I do see a very, very fine line when this type of of work becomes very, very, very self-centered. And it's hard sometimes for the person to turn the the goggles back around. Mm. Sometimes, I mean, I was so lucky to grow up in this international way, you know, with my parents' work and the way that our lives were, so much time internationally was spent for me and 
a lot of places that uh, were very undeveloped, very remote, very traditionally intact uh, culturally, linguistically. And I constantly was given this larger perspective of suffering. And ultimately, uh, it, it, that kind of perspective, I think, is imperative when you do work on your own suffering and your own samskaras to circle back to that. I think sometimes uh, people can get very swept up in these stories, their own, and and forget to practice turning the goggles back around because sometimes it's simply being in service. Then this wouldn't necessarily be for the guys that are on the front lines for their jobs every day, but being in a in a in a situation where you can be around others that have different types, potentially much much more challenging and complex uh, suffering than you and and just getting a simple perspective check and reminder and you know with all of the people traveling now i think it's one missed opportunity after another i think the way traveling has been really promoted these days is like the freedom that it brings and freedom letting go of you know the nine to five and the material and and this and that, enjoying your family and seeing the world. And I think that's beautiful. But to me, the core of traveling is the people and the culture of the place you're going. And there's always a very, very, very uh, missed opportunity if that isn't an, a situation people bring themselves into. Because I think that perspective is vital for this this conversation. I think there's there's, there's this beautiful growth of people that want to do the work to clear their samskaras and live in line with their purpose and be in this high state of love and joy and giving. And I think that when people travel or experience a deep, intimate look and connection with others that have deeper challenges, maybe more suffering, is really important for that process, you know, because we're, we're so much more connected than people realize. And we have so much more in, in common than people realize. And I think sometimes that's a missed opportunity that I've been observing today oh, around yoga, especially. 100%. It's getting out of the resort and, right, right. and actually going to the place that you're at. Right. And right. like you said, like dive into the culture, meet the, meet the actual people that live there, go to where they hang out and where they eat. And, yeah. um, and then you'll see where you actually are. I think that even happens here, you know, too. Yeah, like, totally. Come here and they just stick to Waikiki or Colina or something like that. And they never see what Hawaii actually is. And that's a shame because it's so beautiful. It's way more than just waterfalls and, you know, a warm ocean. It's the people here are very, the culture is so rich and the people. Right. So, yeah. Amazing. And, you know, I mean, bringing up Hawaii, the Hawaiians were the ultimate karma yogis in mm. so many ways. I mean, many, this is what has always drawn me to the Pacific. So many Pacific Island cultures, uh, the way that uh, is is just the normal way to live and the normal way to be is constantly thinking of others. Yes. It's, such a, it's such a more communal mindset versus an individualistic mindset. Yep. And, 
I you know, it, it's almost, sorry to cut you off. It's almost shocking when you first get here. Like, yeah. I, you know, like when I, you know, I'd been practicing yoga for a while before I moved here and um, I had a couple of really tight knit communities, San Francisco, but nothing prepares you, you know, w- when you live in the mainland and then you come here, nothing prepares you for how giving people are with their yeah. time, with their resources, with food, with whatever it's Mm -hmm. it's all about giving and and it's there's no like I need to give it even with you or you with me or it's okay if you don't have something to give back to me or what it 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 just makes them it's just a way of life right to give rather than think about receive right yeah that's one of the things that is so beautiful about being here and yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm happy that that was your experience. And that tells me you were, you know, you were open to having that deeper connection. And I know you are, you know, that's how you are, Sarah. And, and that's, I mean, honestly, that is at the heart of my vision for these yoga empowerment retreats that I just started. So we've only had two so far. But I think that experience you just described sometimes is even stronger in some of these less disrupted Pacific islands, Mm -hmm. uh, like some of the smaller ones in Micronesia and the Marshalls that, that I work on and bringing people who might have a different type of perception, maybe based on hearsay, maybe based on an experience out of place and out of context here in Hawaii with someone from these areas, or I don't know, anything, things they read on the news. Uh, People sometimes have a different idea about what these places, these people, these cultures are like. And you, you can't even be on the island 20 minutes without immediately feeling exactly what you described, just Mm -hmm. this absolute open heart open arms, welcoming, very genuinely welcoming receptance. And it doesn't stop. It's such a beautiful, open, receptive way of interacting over there with one another. And I think that a lot of that comes from just the culture. So, you know, coming from American culture, uh, karma yoga is an even more important topic to not just teach people about, but maybe help facilitate an experience in. And that's really the heart of, I think, my vision around some of these trips. Is you know how it is, Sarah, you had that direct experience and it probably changed you forever. And, oh, yeah. and now you know so much about, about food here, <laughs> which I know is one of the most important things that brings people together culturally and in all those other areas I mentioned. So, mm-hmm. you know, you had an experience that sparked your interest first. So I think those, ex- coming back to it, those experiences when you're traveling, they can be so powerful, but you got, you got to go look for them or you got to go create them or join mm-hmm a facilitator or an opportunity that brings that, you know, to you. Sometimes you have to, you have to create it, you know, it doesn't just naturally happen for majority of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our perceptions, you know, the, the sutras say that our actions are based on our perceptions wow. and our perceptions are based on what's happened to us earlier in our lives. 
So basically, you know, <laughs> what we're accustomed to yeah. is what we believe to be true. Totally. And so if you've never opened yourself up to these other experiences, then, yeah. then, exactly right. then it's not true to you. And something that I continually try to practice in my own life is looking at situations and drawing conclusions based on fact only. And yeah. my perception or like a story, I'm cre- you talked about stories, you create about things, but being like, is this 100% true? Or yeah. do I just think I know? Do I just yeah. think I know about these people or this place or, you know, or do I really know? I'm sure you see this a lot with your clients, just people being trapped in the stories they've created mm-hmm. and, and their mm-hmm. perceptions. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, you know, the, this a perfect example is what you just said about traveling, but is there any other advice that you give people who are, they just seem to be stuck in this story and, and that's it. And, and there's no way there's, yeah. there's no, like bigger picture. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I see it all the time. I even myself sometimes have, you know, the, the old limiting beliefs coming up and putting their head like right in mine to use a kind of funny analogy. Cause it really does feel like that sometimes, mm-hmm. but I'm a, you know, I'm a really big believer in affirmation work and some of the neuroplasticity concepts of the brain that a lot of people mm-hmm. are talking about now, writing about teaching the public about in more layman terms. I think, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza was one of the first people that put all of that out there, you know, repro, uh, what is it? The breaking the habit of being yourself, how to reprogram the brain or something Mm -hmm. like that. uh, Mm -hmm. Now there's a lot of people writing about this in language. It's very digestible. So we know the neuroplasticity of the brain. We know we can effectively reprogram the brain, but how is this done and how is it done most effectively and quickly? I think it totally depends on the extent of trauma that somebody has gone through, um, how much maybe they've, how deeply they've tucked that away, how effectively they've built that wall up. I think the, the method that I will offer right now won't be enough for many people. I think there's certain types of therapy. One is called EMDR. I had mentioned tapping earlier. Uh, I think those are some great, more intensive psychotherapy kinds of tools. They're psychosomatic tools. So they're also, they're helping you um, feel this in your body and use your breath while your brain is being activated. And it's some really powerful work, but for just you know you and me and anyone that feels like they're stuck or they're struggling, I'm a really big believer in just basic affirmation work. So having something written on your mirror that says, I am enough, mm-hmm. or I am successful, or even, you know, whatever it is you're trying to create, like I am a badass leader. I mean, whatever it is, it needs to be very personal. It's some kind of affirmation that you see all the time. I believe that the subconscious is incredibly powerful. You don't even necessarily need to sit down every morning, write it in your journal and meditate on it. Yes, those things definitely help, of course, but I think that um, you can tr- you can also work on a little bit of a more subconscious level and just, I, you know, used to have an affirmation on my mirror and I also had it as a screensaver on my phone for years. And I swear that that kind of work can be very, very helpful. 
and you don't have to be a female to do this. I don't know <laughs> why. Sometimes <laughs> things get flown as like girly things to do, and they're totally not. These are just basic psychological tools that that are shown to be very effective for people in this rewiring of the brain process. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I just did a podcast episode uh, on manifesting a few weeks ago and cool. it's, you're willing it to be true. Yeah. When, you, when you talk this way to yourself, you are creating your reality. Yes. And when you, when you talk like that, then you start to all the things that you do in life, you're like, well, what a person like that, do it that way. Yeah. You know, the person that I'm writing about on my little sticky note, you know, and, yeah. and you catch yourself in those moments and you're like, no, they would not do that. So I'm going to do this instead. I love that. I love yeah. that. Almost like the WWJD that, you know, followers of Christ, the, the bracelets, it's that same kind of idea. It's, you know, exactly what, kind of frequency do you want to be emanating all day and every moment and going back to the idea of cultivating the thought moment to moment. I mean, it's real hard work, but I love what you said too. What kind of person do I want to be? And is this how she would act in this moment? All right. Well, maybe let's rethink this then. Yeah. That's and also, I mean, you start telling other people that you're that person too. And then, and then they see you as that person. So then maybe they start introducing you to other people as that person, or they start presenting you with opportunities that a person like that person would want. So mm -hmm. then it just starts snowballing and all of a sudden you're like, you're living in that world. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk real quick about social media. Okay. <laughs> oh gosh. So, yeah. So, you know, obviously social media is, is a, fun little gadget we have to play with these days and it's great for promoting and, and sharing ideas and businesses and all that. But it can also, as we're learning now, be really damaging. And I think that this ties in with karma yoga because people can become attached to likes. Yes. And, you know, so they're, they're posting things just for the likes Yes. And when they don't get the likes, it bums them out. Yes. And, and this is when the depression and the self-doubt and anxiety start to set in. You're like, oh my God, what did, what did I do? What did I say? Why didn't I get, you know? Yes. And karma yoga is a really good thing to practice when you're on social media. Mm -hmm. um, are you posting that thing just because you love it and you just wanted to share it just for the hell of it? And if nobody even read it or said anything about it, would you still be cool with that? Mm -hmm. Or are you just posting things to sell something or to get attention mm -hmm. or to get some sort of need filled? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, this, Sarah, did you know this is a very challenging topic for me personally? Oh, really? I did I'm not open, know that. I'm very open to all of my clients and students and teachers about this, that apparently I'm technically a millennial, but you know, <laughs> I'm 33 years old. So I'm definitely on the cusp. And the way that I was raised was not very technology heavy. I was very much raised to be more of a, you know, a being of the 
of the land and the sea, and we were always doing things outdoors. So for me, this kind of dependency on it now in order to be X, Y, or Z is a very foreign idea. Like for me, none of my happiness or success or richness of connections was ever reliant or dependent on a device or something that was electronic, for example. And, you know, I constantly, why I say it challenges me is because I constantly reflect about social media and me and how I use it and how I interact with it. And um, just like what you said, just like what you said, I personally still experience quite a lot of anxiety might be a little bit of an extreme word, but unease, just very much unease. And to use the yoga word that the sutras talk about, klishta and aklishta, it's this idea of colored thoughts. So we can have colored thoughts or we can have uncolored thoughts. And the goal of yoga would be to uncolor the thoughts. You can think about it like removing a charge. And I am simply unable yet to spend time on social media and remain in this state of a klishta, totally uncolored. I find quite a lot of coloration occurs for me personally on social media. I do feel that there are some incredible, incredible people, movements, companies, especially the youth movements across the planet in relation to uh, climate change and anything regarding social impact. I think that the movements, and it's really so many are youth. It's incredible. I'm lucky to work with some of these in the Marshalls, but all these movements of youth changing the game uh, in their particular home country. I think social media has been quite essential in progressing some of these movements. And it's been incredible for me to watch some of these uh, people advancing their careers, which really is advancing the well-being of their people back mm -hmm. home on their islands. Yeah. And it's incredible and it's beautiful and it's inspiring and it's motivating. And that is, those are gems, you know, is that the majority Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. You know, so yeah. I think people setting timers for themselves that really does limit the time because then when the time is limited, you have to be so clear about how you're going to spend it to make the most out of it. And hopefully it is for the growth of something that is ego free, that isn't driven by the ego, that isn't trying to feed the ego that isn't trying to satisfy the ego. And I mean ego in the yoga sense. So that's, you know, a very heavy concept. How can you even promote something that you're leading without having ego there? I don't know. I'm still totally exploring this and figuring this all out myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is a good concept to bring up, Sarah. And Ultimately, um, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen social media create so much more disconnect and isolation and feelings of not being good enough and not being accepted and all of this. And, and then I've seen it really do the total opposite. So it constantly confuses me and I have a total love-hate relationship with it. And 
I am so open to anyone that has figured all of that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. And it's, it's all, it seems like we're all trying to figure it out, right? Like either, either we're just happily obsessed with it and we just don't care and we're just owning that or, or we're just like, how do I get, like, how do I stop being addicted to this thing? Like get this thing away from me, you know? Totally. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword for sure. So let's just recap what yoga means, uh, karma yoga means to us and talk about some tips for this practice. So one of the things I think of when I think of karma yoga is being kind to someone that is not kind to me. Mm, Absolutely. Um, yeah, or doing something kind for someone without wanting or needing anything in return. That's mm-hmm. kind of a, a very basic karma yoga one. Mm-hmm. But there's people in there could be strangers or they could be people you know that you just God, you like you talk to them and they're just they're just mean. <laughs> or or they or you just don't for some reason like they rub you the wrong way. And the solution is always to be the light right? To always bring love to the situation because dark doesn't bring light. Only light brings light. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's like a good one for karma yoga and also accepting all outcomes from any situation, no matter what they are. So that goes along with, you know, doing the work for the love of it, not just for what kind of recognition you get from it. Yeah, what are so what are some of yours? What do you consciously use this practice in your life? Yeah, definitely. I think that's really really good. I think there's, you know, there's a few levels of it and I think one within the family friends kind of circle um really being aware of your relationships and knowing the relationships that you might unintentionally belittling in or condescending in or impatient in or expecting too much in or basically just experiencing some kind of unease in and really looking at those and Mm -hmm. using relationships that are those kinds like the friends and family and colleagues too would fit into this in my mind using these as opportunities for spiritual growth. I really do believe that that is part of karma yoga because it, it is practicing taking full accountability for what you're creating from the deepest level and owning it when something doesn't necessarily go the way you want it to constantly looking at what you can learn from that and where you can grow from that. And how you can be better from it using basically everyone as a mirror in some way, shape or form. I think that accountability attitude is super important to practice. I think for karma yoga, people sometimes forget that we're on a very dynamic island here and everywhere. If people are listening to this podcast from outside of Hawaii, I mean, most places are incredibly dynamic and I guarantee it. There's somebody out there closer to you geographically than you realize that's experiencing worse and suffering deeper and having a perspective that is of service, whether it's doing a really small 
act like letting somebody go in front of you or maybe like paying for the person's groceries that are behind you without, you know, telling them or anything like that, picking up, um, picking up some trash in a certain area. I mean, there's literally endless opportunities to be outward focused, whether it's on the land around you or another person around you or anything. You can get real creative with this, real Mm -hmm. creative with this. And I think it's a really powerful state of mind to practice being in, looking for those opportunities to bring joy and spread joy to another being or all sentient beings, really, to any sentient being. And I think that is just something that you practice and you instill that as something to constantly be thinking about. I think those are all really, really important. And then there's the more obvious ones, like literally you guys that are listening to this, just go volunteer your time and energy at some organization or event uh, that serves others less fortunate than you. I mean, it's that basic. I mean, Mm -hmm. just go volunteer at any shelter. We are so understaffed at all the shelters on this island. I mean, any food kitchen, just anywhere that offers your time and your energy. It's, it's, it sounds basic, but I can't tell you how much I wish more people would do this. And, you know, like people who want to buy me a Christmas present, I would just love to go out and do something like that with your time instead. I think that acts of selfless service can go so far. Everybody that will resonate with anyone, anyone, anyone can relate to that. You know, anyone can relate to that. It it crosses all boundaries of language and culture and all of that. So yeah, that's what I would say. I love it. Are there any other resources that you recommend for this practice, like any books or? Yes, pretty much any of Thich Nhat Hanh's books. Okay. Highly recommend. He was a um, karma yoga yogi himself and writes a lot about peace and love and overcoming anger and a lot of things we've been talking about today about selfless service. Highly recommend anything by Thich Nhat Hanh. Honestly, Stephen Cope's works are incredible, not yes. just the one you mentioned, but <laughs> um, many of his books mm-hmm. and anything that talks about karma yoga in more of the sense of work. I think would be a great perspective for people to gain. It doesn't necessarily have to always be about um, serving humanity. It can just be about the right, right action in work. So I don't have any particular book off the top of my head that would fit that. I think the book for um, women and younger women in particular, Healthy is the New Skinny. It really it really debunks the whole consumerism advertisement into social media complex. It really kind of just shatters all of that and tells you from a historical perspective, I mean, why social media has grown so easily. I mean, it's just the same as any kind of media or ad campaigning that ever happened over time, you know? Mm -hmm. So I found uh, a lot of value, especially for younger not just women, but just younger women, especially in that book. I think that she's great. Oh, I love Brene Brown's books. Yeah. Oh, yes. And Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. Oh, man. Read her book. I don't remember the name. Reverend (laughs) Angel Kyoto Williams. 
it's called like it's all about um privilege within yoga and white privilege oh uh, yeah this is this brings in race it brings in just the topic of race and fragmentation and privilege and abundance and scarcity not just in yoga and how yoga is growing so fast and how it's growing and evolving but really in the world and you know some of these bigger issues um it's really interesting how the deep deep limiting beliefs that not just the individuals but that humanity suffers from have created and perpetuated some of the largest issues that we're dealing with as a human species on earth right now and it's from a yoga perspective i she's amazing it'll come up right away it's a relatively new book maybe one year old cool i'll, I'll link it in the show notes okay cool um thanks. those are amazing thank you how yeah. can people learn more about your coaching services your body work and can you give a little description of your body work um, yes. and then also your yoga classes Sure. Yeah. So I am a, I'm a really big fan of specific, intentional, conscious touch. So I find a lot of body work is a bit more of a routine that you go through. Sometimes it's not specific to the person. It doesn't always link the physical and energetic bodies responsibly in my opinion okay so much of body work is about the energy too so mm -hmm. i find this method to be incredibly effective at linking the physical and the energetic body's experiences to bring more ease in on the psycho and somatic level so it is a type of thai yoga in the sense that there are both manipulative movements that stretch the body as well as pressing and compressing um, on muscles and muscle lines. It's incredibly slow, very slow and specific, very, very slow and specific. It is fully clothed, no oil on a mat on the ground, not on a massage table, pretty low maintenance in that sense. And um, for people that have a hard time relaxing mentally or neurologically, in a massage, I find this method to be incredibly effective. It stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system really directly. So the nervous system almost always is able to relax in this type of uh, treatment. But hey, those of you that like the really deep pressure, deep tissue, I mean, don't be fooled. This is a very shiatsu deep style of, uh, of massage. So you get that work as well. You're getting those knots out. Yeah, <laughs> really, really well. And then, you know, I, I offer empowerment coaching, some of the stuff we've been talking about today and a little bit more actionable goal setting, actually making um, tangible progress towards something that you're trying to create. I use yoga as the main tools. Yoga is the most massive modality for this kind of work that there is. So I teach a lot of that and regular yoga classes here on Oahu. Um, and honestly, the, the bigger, more exciting programs are the yoga empowerment retreats that I lead to small islands in Micronesia that I've been working on for over a decade. And it's a cultural immersion, it's service, it's karma yoga, it's healing, it's adventure. I mean, it's, it's the whole gamut. 
but the really unique part is um, my connections to the local community there. So you really get to immerse and experience authentic kosher uh, and Pacific wow. Island culture. I'm going to be adding various Pacific Islands um, onto the list of where I bring people. Again, it would be a similar experience. So definitely check all of that out. My Instagram and website are both Kara Ocean. Just one word, karaocean.com um, is the website. Catch me around town. Power Yoga Hawaii and Still and Moving Center are my two studio homes in, in town. And the North Shore Yoga Co-op is my uh, space on the North Shore. And I would love to, gosh, this is such a great podcast, Sarah. So I would love to um, come on any other time or spread the word. And this is just so cool that you're doing it. I'm really grateful that you asked me to be on. Thank you so much. I'm super grateful that you came on. Um, and yes, you can come on anytime. <laughs> just <laughs> make the topic <laughs> and you're on. And thank you so much for everything that you do and for your service and for spreading your knowledge today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Now, I'd love to hear from all you listeners out there, so please let me know what you thought of the show and if you have any topics or questions that you'd like me to tackle on the show. The team of Yoga Unplugged and I are here for you, so please let us know. And if you'd like to join in on the conversation with us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at yogaunplugged.org. Find us on Facebook at Yoga Unplugged by Jennifer Reuter. Reuter is spelled R-E-U-T-E-R or connect with us on Instagram at yoga underscore unplugged. Thanks for listening, everyone. Namaste.